Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Man, we thank you so, so much tonight. What a blessing it is to be saved, to be in our right minds, to not be on our way to hell. That's pretty good, I think. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, We do have uh, nursery services tonight available for anybody who has kids. I believe the age is three and under, so we encourage you. uh, Take advantage of that. Hallelujah. Give, Give these parents a break. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. And our nursery workers, we appreciate you very, very much. Acts chapter 1, if you'll join me there tonight. Acts chapter 1. We have uh, World Evangelism Day once a month. And we do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, because my wife and I were former missionaries. We lived in the nation of Bulgaria, Eastern Europe, for four and a half years. Uh, that means that our hearts are on the mission field and that we, we know what it's like to be out there and uh, we know what it means for churches to be supporting the missionaries in prayer and in finances and that is a desperately needed thing in our generation. But it's not just for the missionaries. The other reason that we have World Evangelism Sunday on the last Sunday of every month is to keep our hearts positioned in the right place. To be reminded tonight that there are greater needs than just the needs of our own little lives and our own little bubble that we live on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis. To realize that nearly 8 billion people in the world, over half of them, live in places where the gospel is not commonly known. There are over 3 billion people in the world today that without Christ are on their way to hell. And that is still the church's job to reach them. That means it's your job to reach them. You say, well, what, little old me, what am I supposed to do? Well, the answer to that question is not nothing. You're not supposed to do nothing about it. It is better to do something rather than nothing. And the idea is that here in a local church, in a local congregation like ours tonight, we can, uh, we can hide behind the idea that, well, we're, we're just a few people. There's not much we can do. What impact can we make? Three billion people. Well, even if we just help one change their eternal destination from hell to heaven, that's a big deal in eternity. And we might not be able to save a billion people, But we might be able to save one or two, or three or four, or ten or twenty. And in the last 12 years that I I and my wife have pastored this church, we have gone on, I think, ten impact teams to different nations around the world. We have given to world evangelism, and I think that our impact together as a congregation is probably bigger than you might understand. And that is worth something tonight. There is a danger in life and in faith 
that I want to expose, and that is the danger of being too general. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Picture a young man. There might be some young men here in this place who is uh, just graduating high school. And you ask him, what do you want to do with your life, young man? And the answer that comes back to you is something like this. Well, I want to be successful. I want to have lots of money. Okay, great. That's wonderful. But that's not a plan. That's too general. That's too wide. There's too many possibilities. If you want to be successful and you want to make some money, you want to do something meaningful with your life, you're going to have to do something, not nothing. To sit on your couch and eat potato chips and say, I want to be successful, that's too much. You've got to start somewhere. I've heard they're hiring at McDonald's. I've walked into Wawa. I've seen the sign. It says $15 an hour. That's like more than double than I was making my first job. Start somewhere. Well, no, I'm still holding out for that managerial position. In life, you have to start somewhere. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so, for a young man who wants to be successful and financially stable, video games are not the answer. Pick something. Pick some skill in life that you might be good at. Focus on that. Put some energy and attention on that. Become better than 90% of the people that you know. If you can do that, I don't care what it is, playing guitar, fixing cars, uh, repairing shoes, find something that you can get better at and do that. And you never know how God will open up doors of opportunity just by doing something specific rather than something general. Okay? In church, we often make the same mistake. We come together and we say, well, we want to reach the world for, the, for Jesus. We want to do something for the gospel. Not sure what that is. But I think if I just show up and sit on a church chair, maybe, maybe that'll help in some way. I believe tonight God wants you to do something instead of nothing. He wants you to be active and not passive in your faith. And I would say even this, that doing something that ends in failure is far better than doing nothing for a whole decade or two or for 40 years of our Christianity. In the scripture we're about to read, Jesus gives some specific instructions that I think can help us and give us some direction about what we can do. Well, we're not talking about the megachurch down the road here. What can we do? What can you do? To win a few lost souls here at home and even those around the world that we want to focus on tonight. Let's read together Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. Familiar scripture. Being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. <clears throat> John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still stuck on this. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. You shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I just want you to remember the number of people that Jesus was talking to that day was not more than about 120, 130 people, a small group. But from that group, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was birthed the church of Jesus Christ. You and I are fruit of this, these 120 people. And I want to tell you tonight that doing something empowered by the Holy Spirit is far better than doing nothing. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the people gathered in this place tonight. We're praying, God, that you would help us, convict us. God, empower us to do what you've called us to do. And we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the the vision that you've called us to. We give you glory in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. A message I've titled, What to Do and Where to Go. And let's start, first of all, with the idea of waiting. The first thing we read in this scripture, Jesus being assembled together with them, he commanded them to do something that uh, we don't really like. Wait there. Don't move. Before you do anything else, Stop there, stop what you're doing, and wait. And Jesus is giving them a promise. He's saying, if you thought it was fun following me on the earth, just wait until my pal, the Holy Spirit, comes. Just wait until you are empowered, emboldened, strengthened, encouraged for what He is going to do both in you and through you. The book of Acts, that word is often, uh, we wonder Acts of what? Some people say, in fact, in my Bible right here, it says Acts of the Apostles. And indeed, it was the actions of the Apostles. But without the Holy Spirit, those Apostles wouldn't have done anything of great value. I believe that we could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The whole book is the Holy Spirit in motion, empowering, equipping, encouraging, strengthening, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ, to do what Jesus had commanded them to do. But before they could do all of those great things, Jesus said, you got to stop. My people, you have to stay where you are. Verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everybody say, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. Jesus is saying, look, you guys, I know I've commanded you to go into all the nations and to make disciples and to plant church. I've commanded this to you, but don't get too excited too quickly. Because if you try to do this in your own strength, if you try to do this without the influence of the Holy Spirit, this is not going to be good. You need what I've got for you. You need the empowering, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. You need His direction. You need His revelation. You need Him to remind you of the words that I've spoken to you. You need Him at every moment. And this is a great lesson for us in a church that has become so technologized. I don't think that's a real word, but you know what I mean. In a church that has become so dependent on social media, so dependent on programs and follow-up and Excel spreadsheets and And if we just get the right, you know, text message and the the right email at the right moment, and this is going to equal revival. No, 
You know, there are, there are businesses in the world who have perfected the follow-up technology, CRM tools of reaching out to customers exactly the right moment. Have you ever noticed on some websites, and you'd be scrolling on the website, and then your mouse moves up to the top of the screen where the little red X is? And in that perfect moment, it pops up a, a, a discount right in the middle of your screen. Like, they knew you were about to click off of the screen. They knew it. And so they, they have perfected keeping you there and, and giving you the right discount that will put your credit card number in there. It's going, to, uh, it, it's going to create the best possible opportunity to close the deal. And listen, we as a church, we make a mistake to think that we can do the same with the gospel. That if we have just the right slick marketing campaign, if we have the perfect website, if we get the right Google results, if we put the right Facebook page and the right post at the right time, oh, that this is going to mean revival. And then we wonder why people aren't getting converted. Because often we are doing things in our own strength, not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, before you do anything, you need power supernatural power not the power of your will not the power of your intellect not the power of your education it's okay i'm gonna preach tonight not the power of anything that you can do you need the power of the holy spirit you can't do this by yourself can we be reminded tonight we can't do this this church thing is a miracle it is an ongoing everlasting miracle of god that he is empowering he is equipping and if He does the work. He gets the glory. There is power when they assemble together. Verse 4 said that they were assembled. Say assembled. We're not talking about the Avengers tonight. We're talking about power in the assembly. In other words, this didn't happen when they were laying on their beds at night. This didn't happen when they were off at their workplaces doing some business. It didn't happen while they were out traveling and taking care of the bills. No, it was when they were assembled. Being assembled, Jesus told them, stay here and wait, for I'm sending to you the Holy Spirit. We need, we still need, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We still need His power. We still need His influence. We still need His encouragement and His strength. What does the Holy Spirit do when He comes to your life? Number one, He will enlighten Jesus said to His disciples last supper, John 16, 14, that He, the Holy Spirit, He will glorify Me. For He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. He is going to enlighten their minds. How many ever felt confused? Maybe even confused about the will of God for your life. Confused about what your next step should be. Let me tell you what you need. You need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to bring clarity and understanding, and revelation empowered by the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to enlighten your mind. I have had it happen to me uh, so many times that I, cannot, uh, I can't express to you how important it is to have a daily habit of Bible reading and prayer. It is through this daily habit the Holy Spirit will take a Scripture that's that's uh, one that you've read 50 times before, and all of a sudden it leaps off of the page and says, this is what you're supposed to do. How many had that happen to you? The Holy Spirit will enlighten your mind 
Bring to remembrance things, sermons that you heard 20 years ago that were important. A word from God, a word from an evangelist that was key and will bring direction to your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens. Secondly, the Holy Spirit encourages them. Encourages them. What does that mean? It means to put courage into them. Remember who this group was. These were the followers of Jesus. And it was only a few weeks before this that Jesus was going to the cross. And the Bible said that all of His disciples had fled from Him. Why? Because they lacked courage. You know, the only, the only ones who remained with Him to the end was His mama, Mary Magdalene, and John, His best disciple, the closest one to Him. All the rest had fled and run away from Jesus, including Peter the big mouth, who said, I'll never, I'll never forsake you, Jesus. And less than 24 hours later, He's denying three times. Spoke about that this morning. And so, uh, because they lacked courage in that moment, this is the group that he's now speaking to. And he says, I need you to have courage, to be bold, to be able to speak with conviction. You need courage. The Holy Spirit brings courage. He also equips. Listen, uh, this is something that has brought me great comfort over the years. That God will never call you to do something without also equipping you to do that thing. Some of you, you know, in the back of your mind, God has already spoken to you about what you need to do and where you need to do it. But you lack, uh, you lack the courage to do so. You lack the, what you perceive, the equipment. You say, I don't know how a person like me could ever do a thing like that. I don't think I can do it, God. Well, let me give you this promise that God will never call you to do something without also giving you the equipment with which to do it. If God called you to pave the road, He will give you a paver. If God called you to preach the Gospel, He will give you a voice and a heart for the Word of God and for the people of God. If God called you to the nursery ministry, He will give you a heart of great patience and tenderness. And a whole box of tissues to wipe snotty noses. God will give you what you need to do His will for your life. Y'all are looking at me like you don't believe that. But it's true. The Holy Spirit will also empower. Jesus said these words to His disciples at the Last Supper. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words... Man, he could tell that these disciples had already, whoa, their eyes were rolling in the back of their head like, whoa, we can't take all of this. He's been talking to them for three chapters. You can read it. Jesus, just this revelation pouring out on them as he's preparing to go to the cross. And they're like saturated. You know, they're like sponges who have reached maximum saturation. They can't take any more. Jesus is trying to pour more out on them. And it's just spilling out on their brains. He says, I still have many things to say to you. But when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Did you ever feel like you were at the end of yourself? I can't take any more, Lord. I'm too weak. I I don't know how how I can make it even one more day. Uh, It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So... Jesus said, without this, you need to wait. Stay where you are until He comes. The second thing we see in our Scripture is that they wondered. 
Before Jesus goes back to heaven, they have one last question for him. I'm so glad that the Bible records that they asked him a question. They were still wondering about something. Hey, uh, Jesus, before you go, could you answer us this one question? It's verse 6. When they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, everybody who was a follower, maybe not everybody, but most people who followed Jesus at the time, uh, they thought that he was going to be some powerful political leader, that he was going to help the Jews to overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing them, and uh, that they thought that he was going to take the power for himself and become king of the world. That's what they assumed the Messiah would do when he shows up. The Jewish people thought that Messiah would come to tear down earthly kingdoms and exalt a heavenly throne on earth. And so when Jesus showed up letting little children, they were like, get those kids out of here. We don't need them. We we need revolution. We need like Alexander Hamilton. You know, we need need something powerful. And Jesus was like, no, let's go pray for some lepers. This was mind-blowing, and many people have thought this is exactly the reason why Judas Iscariot betrayed him in the end. Because he thought at some point the mission would change, and then he's realizing he's going to the cross, and he's like, i gotta, I got to force his hand here. And so even now, his disciples looking at him say, is it now? Now? Are you going to take the power like you're supposed to? And so even though it reveals to us that they still had an incomplete understanding of the purpose and the plan of Jesus. What I do love about that is at least they were wondering. They were asking a question. This is something that the modern church does very little of. You know why? Because we have become experts in our own mind. We have become uh, graduated Christians. We are now philosophers of, of religiosity. Oh, we've heard a thousand sermons, and so I already know the answer, what's coming next. Uh, When's the last time you truly had a question and you were open to an answer from the Lord? And when they had a question like this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Here's what I love. Jesus does not answer their question, but he blows their mind instead. First of all, he exceeds all of their expectations. They were wondering about an earthly kingdom. He began to tell them about a heavenly kingdom. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. 
And finally, every dollar we raise goes to World Evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. He also gives them endurance. He says, yeah, I know you, you, you think that you need deliverance in this time. You need a revolution to uh, overthrow a government. But let me tell you, you're going to go through worse things than this. So you're going to need to endure. When the Holy Spirit comes, uh, this, is no, this is no sprint. This is a marathon. You're going to need strength. You're going to need to endure. The other thing that he gave them was enthusiasm. You see... Isn't it funny how non-believers and people who don't believe in God can look at the world, can look at a believer, and how we can be cheerful even when things are difficult? How can you still smile and sing and go to church and lift your hands even when you're going through hell? Well, here's the reason. Because we're not going to stay there forever, right? When you're going through hell, best advice is keep going. You don't want to stop. You want to keep moving. Jesus is giving them enthusiasm. Listen, guys, I know it's bad. I know these Romans. They're they're wicked. They just killed me. Don't you remember? But guess what? I have overcome the world. He's putting enthusiasm and some faith and some expectation in them. The word, the very word enthusiasm is interesting. From the Greek, it's en theos. That means in God. He is putting God into them so that they can have some enthusiasm and some strength move forward. But this is where it gets good. Jesus doesn't leave them just with uh, waiting in Jerusalem and wondering to the answer of their question. But He gives them the great purpose that we are still striving with today. He puts a mandate on them that the church has never been rescinded from the church. It is on you and it is on me here tonight. If you're saved and you're right with God and you're part of the church, I'm not saying part of the potter's house, I'm saying part of Jesus' church. This is you. Are you ready tonight? This is the purpose. This is why God saved you. This is the reason that God didn't suck you up to heaven yet. This is it. Verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Say the word witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. With these words, Jesus is giving them the what to do and the where to go. You are going to be my witnesses. You are going to tell the things that you have seen and that you have heard. So think about that that phrase for a second, the witnesses, that word. What is a witness? What's interesting about the idea of a witness, it gives the idea of somebody who's on the stand in a courtroom. And a witness is not there to give an opinion about something, right? A witness is instructed by the judge. Now, we don't want to hear what you think this means. We don't want you to interpret this into some philosophy or worldview. We just want to hear the thing that you saw and heard. We just want your testimony. We want to hear what happened so that we can make a judgment about that guy sitting over there. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. 
You are supposed to be my witness. What does that mean tonight? It means, first of all, that a witness does not need a whole lot of preparation. In fact, there are laws against like uh, prepping a witness. Like Lawyers are not supposed to really be doing that and pumping information in it. We just want to hear what you saw and what you heard. A witness doesn't need a four-year bachelor's degree from Regent University. You don't need five years of experience as a believer. If you are saved, if you've had an experience with Jesus, you can be a witness. Amen. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to, have, uh, you don't have to read a, a, a book about evangelism. If the Lord has done something, if He has done, we sang it tonight, God, You've done great things in my life. What are those great things? That's all you need. And that's all He requires to be a witness, to tell the story. This is what our podcast is all about. Uh, What I love to do is to give pastors the platform that they don't often have. In a sermon, I might be able to give you a five-minute version of my testimony, how God saved my life. But on that podcast, I was able to give like the two-hour version of all the miracles. We were able to chase down every bunny trail about all of the miracles that God did. And I love doing that. What about you tonight? Are you a witness? Are you able to communicate what God did in your life? I already know the answer. The answer is yes, you can. The the, the real question is, are you willing to do that? Or are you too embarrassed, feel unprepared, ill-equipped? We're going to pray tonight that God would give us another Pentecost so that we can be empowered and equipped to be the witnesses that we're supposed to be. So that's the what. Then he gives us the where. This mission, Jesus says, he specifies, you shall be witnesses to me. That's the message, by the way. The message is not you. The message is not what our church is doing this week. The message is not our program or our Bible study. The message is Jesus. You shall be witnesses to me. And the where is four categories here. The first one is Jerusalem. Well, what is that? That's the place where they already are. They're, they're standing in Jerusalem as he says this. So you want, uh, we want you to be a witness where you already are. Secondly, he says, in all Judea. Judea is kind of the province, the area. We could say if Ju- Virginia Beach is the city, then Virginia is the wider area. So you're supposed to be witnesses to me where you are, but also the places that you're familiar with, the area around you, Judea. He says then, Samaria. Ooh, Samaria. Ugh. Yeah, I heard about that place. You know, the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, they, they had no dealings with one another. There was, there was a, a racial conflict between the two. Not only was it a racial conflict, there was a, uh, a religious conflict that they had two very differing views of life. And it's very interesting that Jesus... He's very specific here. He says, yeah, I want you to go to your neighbors in Jerusalem. I want you to go to the area around with all the nice Jewish people that you know and, and understand well. And then I want you to go to the other side of the train tracks where those people are. Those ones that, you know, they don't like you and you don't like them. But I died for them too. In fact, the first great revival recorded in the Gospel accounts 
happened in Samaria when Jesus met the woman at the well. Before He had revealed Himself as the Messiah to the Jewish people, like just as He's setting up His platform for preaching, just as He is getting familiar with His disciples, they find Him preaching, of all people, to a Samaritan woman. And not a good one. Like a yucky one. Like one who had been with a bunch of other men and the guy that she was with is not her own. And, and Jesus was speaking to her and, and she was believing in Him. And the Bible said that she went back to her city and started preaching about Jesus, the Messiah, the one who told me everything I've ever done. The first great revival, the first great awakening happens in the place where the Jews were like, oh, really? Yuck. Not those people. I'm reminded of Jonah. Jonah, the unwilling prophet. God says, I want you to go and preach my message of repentance. Sure, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Oh, really? Why don't you go to Nineveh? Oh, yuck. Nineveh? It had only been one generation since the Ninevites had destroyed the Jews in battle. Like they were their mortal enemy. And God said, yes, Jonah, I want you to go there to those people. The ones that had killed some members of your family and friends and loved ones. Those people. Those yucky ones. Jonah said, nah, nah I'm gonna, Nineveh's this way, I'm going that way. He runs from the will of God. It doesn't turn out very well for him. He keeps going down down to the ship, down into the ocean, down into the belly of the fish, and at the bottom of his experience, he finally prays. Like you wish that the prophet would have prayed before this moment. That there at the bottom, he's praying, God, I've been so stupid. Would you set me back on track? And God is so gracious and merciful that in Jonah 3, verse 1, that God, sa- God speaks to Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad God speaks the second time when you're faithless and you're unbelieving and you're running from His will and you're doing a bunch of stuff you know you're not supposed to do? And uh, so good that God speaks to us a second time. And so the fish then you know, vomits him up on the beach And uh, because he's been in the fish for three days, and uh, Jesus actually uh, refers to that, that just like Jonah was in the fish three days, so I will be in the belly of the earth for three days, and I'll come out from that experience too. And they say that because of that, his skin had changed colors, and his appearance maybe had been bleached, and so when he came out on 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 the beach, and there he is, he just happens to be in the place God called him to. The fish had taken him. To Nineveh. How cool is that? And the fish, blah, he spits him up on the beach, and there he is. He's like, he's like an angel. His skin bleached white. And all the people are looking at him like, whoa, oh, whatever he says, we'll do it. And he says, he, he preaches the shortest sermon in the whole Bible. And everybody starts repenting. From the king up in the palace to the lowest servant and even all the animals, they're like, oh, God, forgive us. And everybody's getting saved and everybody's crying out for mercy and everybody's believing in God and casting aside their idols and everybody's happy. Except for Jonah. He's like, Lord, I knew you would do this. This is why I didn't want to come here. Because I want to see you judge these people. This is why Jesus made very specific. I want you to go to the Samaritans too. To those ones that you don't like, that you don't agree with, 
the ones who don't vote like you, the ones who live in places that you don't agree with, those people too, the place where you're not comfortable. Did you know God calls you to places beyond your comfort zone? And if He doesn't, you're not hearing from Him. I'm very rarely comfortable when I know that I'm doing God's work. And the final location that he tells them about is the end of the earth. Now for them in their time, it actually, you know, geographically wasn't really that far. It was probably, you know, a a three-hour plane ride from where they were standing. But to them, the end of the earth, you mean the places that we've never heard of before? The places where we're unfamiliar with? Not just uncomfortable, but totally unaware that there was even people there. I remember being in a conference one time, in a Bible conference, and we were watching one of those Thursday night uh, world evangelism videos. Maybe you've seen one of those. And it's basically pastors, and uh, they're giving reports of what God is doing in the place where they are. And I remember watching one of those, and it was this pastor that was uh, giving a report from the island where he had a church. And the name of the island was this, C-H-U-U-K, Chuk. And it blew my mind because I had never heard that word in my whole life. And I was like 35 years old at the time. Where is that? I've never, well, I don't, couldn't even throw a, a, a pin at a map and it, there was no chance. And yet there we had a church that was revival, that God was pouring out His Spirit. To me, that is the end of the earth because I never heard of it before. And so that is the where. Now that was true for these first-generation disciples. But I want to say it's true for us here tonight too. Jesus is still calling us to be His witnesses in Virginia Beach, in the wider area of Hampton Roads, Virginia, to the Samaria. I don't know what that means for you, but it means something. The place that you're not comfortable going. And the ends of the earth, the place that you've never heard of before. The chook. Like the... uh, the place that, that you didn't even know was on the map. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's people there too that need the gospel. And so, these are the questions I, wanna, I want you to think about for a moment. Will you be a witness for the Lord Jesus right where you are? See, that one's nice because you don't have to go anywhere. Like, you can go to work tomorrow and you can be His witness there. And that's our most important job. And that's why it's listed first. First priority is go where you are. Second priority is to spread out a little bit and get outside, you know, your normal daily routine. You know, we're talking about the grocery store and the, uh, the gas pump and the outreach on Saturday. That's great. And then maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, when we go on an impact team and it requires a little discomfort to get in the van and drive for four or five hours to a place that we don't spend a lot of time and we're not familiar with. That's, that's our Samaria. And finally, to the end of the earth place you never heard of before. Will you be a witness there? Say, well, pastor, I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a lot of resources. Well, if you can't go, then the next best thing is to give so that somebody else can. And even though you might not be able to personally go to a place like Ukraine, that was the last place you sent me as a pastor to preach, Ukraine. Can you believe all the stuff that's happened in Ukraine since then? That was in March of 2020 been two two and a half years and you as a church you sent me there to preach that was before you ever heard of ukraine 
And there's a lasting impact there because somebody here, you gave to help me buy a plane ticket. You gave to, to, so that I could get a hotel room. You gave, and even though you didn't go there, you were able to... Now, in heaven, there might be somebody who shows up and shakes your hand who's a Ukrainian. I said, thank you for sending that pastor, that goofy-looking guy, to preach because I heard the gospel and I got saved or I got encouraged because of what he said. And by the way, the pastor who's there in Ukraine, he's, he's a missionary too. He's a Russian preaching in Ukraine. Think about how that goes. Like, there's probably some, some, like, some little friction going on there. And like, he's not supposed to really be there. But there he is, being a witness, helping the church in Ukraine, uh, being a representative, not just his nation, but the kingdom of God. How cool is that? And so to close tonight, I want to ask uh, our ministry team to open up a little link that I found on the internet to just remind you about the great need that is in the world today. Amanda knew this was coming. And there is a, uh, yeah, this is the, the remaining mission task of the world. I hope you can see that okay. I'm going to explain what this circle means to you. So go ahead and advance to the next one. And the next one. So what we have here, the larger circle uh, at the outside, it represents all the human beings on earth. That small circle in the middle is those who are evangelical believers. Approximately 10% of the world population is an evangelical believer. That means we believe that uh, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that we are going to preach his message until he comes back. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the work that's already been done. Yay us! We did 10%. All right? Let's go to the next one. So that wider circle now represents other Christians. So these would be, uh, for example, Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholic Christians. These are those who still claim Christianity, but maybe more on the nominal or traditional side. Uh, this represents, for example, where we were missionaries in Bulgaria, where to be a Bulgarian means that you're part of the Orthodox Christian church, even though you really don't believe in God. So those people still need missionaries as well. But uh, they would call themselves Christians at least, and at least they know the story of the gospel. They know who Jesus is. That is about 33% of the current world population. One third. Okay, next. Okay, now this is splitting that third into geographic locations. And so you have, uh, you have up here in Latin America, you have a whole lot of Christians that live there. North America and the Pacific Still a bunch of Christians there. Europe, you can see, is mostly mostly non-evangelical Christians, but still naming the name of Christ. You have non-Muslim Africa, a whole lot of Christians in Africa. And then you have on the right side, you have a bunch of places that are not Christian. These are the unreached people groups. Most of them are in India, in Muslim nations, other Asian nations, and in China. All right, next slide. Now, these green ones represent non-believers who have at least some Christians in their people group around them. And so, that's why we have a lot of them in China, because even though there's only a few Christians in China, everybody in China knows a Christian. They know somebody. The underground church is thriving there. And so, even though China is mostly still an unreached people group, that there are at least, most people there will have access 
to somebody who is a true believer. Does that make sense? So that's what the green represents. I want you to notice for a second India. You wonder why Pastor Campbell is preaching sermons calling missionaries to go to India. That's why. Because of a billion people in India, there is such a tiny, tiny fraction of not only people who believe in Jesus, but of those who know somebody who believes in Jesus. It's a tiny, tiny fraction. And of course, Muslim-majority countries is next. All right, next slide. Now, this blue represents then, therefore, culturally distant non-believers. These are the non-believers who need missionaries because they have few people in their own group who believe in Jesus. So, according to the Joshua Project, which this graphic comes from, a unre- an unreached people group is somebody is a people group where less than 2% of that people group believes in Jesus. Less than 2%. So we're looking at the blue nation, the blue area of those nations. That is where our work is ahead of us. I want to say to all the young people that are here in this place, you need to seriously consider, this might be where your future lies. This is where the unreached masses are. This is where, if Jesus came back today, that that is the amount of Indians that will end up separated from God for all eternity. Are we okay with that? I hope not. This is the ends of the earth that Jesus is calling us to. This represents about half of all non-believers that are culturally distant from believers. I think we got another one there. So that is our remaining frontier. Outside of that dark black line, that is where we need Christians. That is where those, the, the, the dark blue section, it says those with less than 0.1% of Christians in their own people group, those are the frontier people groups, the largest majorities in India. This is why Pastor Campbell continues to call who will go to India. Who will go? This is why. Can you hear the voice of God on this World Evangelism Sunday? Do you suppose that Jesus died for those people? Then whose job is it to tell them? It's the church's job. Are you part of the church? Yes, you are. Is this getting real yet? Okay, I think we've got one more. Yeah, so for every... This is, this is, <laughs> this is convicting for the church. For every 30 missionaries that the church world sends out, only one is going to the blue areas where missionaries are needed. In other words, yes, the church is sending missionaries. Thankfully, the United States, probably the only reason we still exist, God, the reason God blesses us is because we still send more missionaries per capita than any other nation. That is a miracle. But when we send missionaries, where are they going? They're sending them to nations and people groups who already have exposure to the gospel. Now, that's not an evil thing. It's still a good thing to send a missionary to Lima, Peru, for example. Pastor Paul and Deanna Alvarez, we need missionaries there. We need people to get on fire for God there too. But what about those who still remain? What about those who don't have anybody that they know or anybody who the people they know, that nobody that they know knows Jesus? Jesus died for them. He cares about them. He sees them, even though you don't see them. That's the end of the earth. We got one more there? 
Yeah. I close with this thought. We might not be able to do much. You might not be able to do much. But I believe God has called you to do something. If you're saved and your heart beats for the kingdom of God, this is the heartbeat of God. And I have been witness that when God, when God finds somebody whose heart is open, whose heart is open for the needs of the nations, He is able to bless. He is able to provide for you in supernatural ways. And so let's bow our heads for just a moment. This is what to do, and this is where to go. I'm so grateful for the opportunity, and I thank you for your attention tonight as we bring this service to a close. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.